Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Uh, well, if you've got your Bible app open, your bulletin, however it is you're going to track along, we are wrapping up the Free Reign series today where we've been tracking through the uh, book of Galatians and looking at the concept of the freedom we have in Christ. And we've led with this idea every week that in Christ we are free and we're free to live under the reign of Jesus. And we've called this uh, this free reign but to deal with this tension that we can feel where we feel like when, that we are fully free when we're not under the reign of anybody but ourselves. And so the concept of letting Jesus be Lord um, is a, a lot of our places of tension. Um, we love being saved. We love being in a tight spot and somebody taking us out of that spot, understanding periodically, you know, we, we get ourselves into, into a place of tension and we're so thankful to have God who step in and change that. And we're so thankful to have Jesus as Savior, but he is Savior and he is Lord. And the only way we're going to live out the fullness is what not only has he saved us from, but saved us to is letting him be Lord. And there's tension. We don't see that we really have freedom where we let him reign and the, the book of Galatians, Paul um, is really getting that through to that entire region of Galatia. And we're actually going to look at a passage of scripture we've led off with every week that's written to the Corinthians there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where you let him be Lord, that's where the freedom exists. You try to do it on your own and you're going to have the normal mess up jacked up stuff that we, that we get ourselves in all the time, but where we invite his lordship in, that's where real freedom exists. The truth is we're not that good at being lord. We maybe can hold it together to our own satisfaction in one area of our life that we feel like is important, but we do that and every other area falls apart. You can give yourself to your career and watch everything else fall apart. You can give yourself to, to, to your kid's schedule and watch the rest of your life fall apart. You can give yourself to so many different things and maybe have some adequacy to your own, to your own liking and watch everything else begin to crumble other than that one thing. But as we let God be genuinely Lord in our lives, he brings about fullness of life across the fullness of our lives. And verse 18 says this, and we all who with unveiled faces, this means we don't have to hide, we don't have to be secretive about this, we don't have to be hidden with this, we can just let the truth of the process we're in be evident to all, we contemplate the Lord's glory. It means we think about his goodness, not think about how messed up we are, or what's all broken, or what all we need to fix to try to make God smile at us, but we think about his goodness, we contemplate his glory, his grandeur, who he is, and in that, we're being transformed into his image. Not the image we want, not the, our per, not the perfection of our image, but we're, trans, we're transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And we get, make full circle back into this space of letting his Spirit, letting him be Lord in our lives. And I honestly think, as we've tracked along this, 
our place of tension with really releasing the next space of our life into his lordship and letting him have authority and be the one calling the shots in that space. Um, because here's the truth. All of your growth in Christ, all of the discipleship process is letting him be Lord on a deeper level. All of it. That's mine. All of my growth spots are letting him be Lord in my life on a deeper level. Um, that is all your spots. All of us are taking our next steps. And it looks individual because we're all in different places with our relationship with God. But that is it. It's letting him be Lord in that space. And we tend to pump the brakes. We tend to have a hard time with some of those spaces because in the back of our minds, there's this concern that there's going to be this little bait and switch thing, okay? Like, man, yeah, God is good and he, and he saved me and, and he didn't leave me in my mess and, and I'm so grateful he, you know, accepts me how I am, but, but I know he loves me so much he won't leave me that way and maybe not leaving me that way means I have to change myself. Oh, man, maybe all of a sudden there's going to be this pressure. All of a sudden now this is going to come up. And, man, if I, if I really invite him in, now then the, the next thing is going to fall. And, and, and I think I'll just kind of stay right here. And there's going to be this bait and switch, this, you know, this, this Jesus who loves me just the way I am and, and, and meets me where I'm at and saves me when I can't save myself. That, that's just absolutely amazing. But you know what? Um, it's, at some point it's, it's, going to, it's going to shift. At some point it's, it's going to the other shoe's going to drop on this thing, and I think there's going to be this bait and switch because we've seen it on lots of other spaces. And we think that that's going to be the way God is. And folks, God is good from first to last. It only gets better. That's why it says with ever-increasing glory, it just keeps getting better as we let him deeper and deeper into our lives. It doesn't get more restrictive. It gets more expansive. If you want to increase your freedom, you increase his lordship. That's the way this goes. But we're, we're apprehensive because we think there's going to be this little bait and switch thing because, again, because we've seen it. We've seen it happen. Um, we haven't gone, to, done kids camp due to COVID since uh, 2019. And at our last kids camp, we do our own kids camp. Um, and so we go off to the Frio River and take a bunch of kids and a bunch of teenagers and a bunch of adults. And, and we're just there having a great time. It's one of my favorite times of the year. I love kids camp. It is just a blast. And so... With that, we break our kids up into teams and, and I'll be able to have some, some friendly competition. And, and then with that, then some of our interns and then our young uh, uh, YA leaders, um, they're kind of calling the shots and running everything there. And they have lots of opportunities to get points. Well, we, one of our leaders decided this would be a great time to take advantage of that and prank a couple of our YA leaders and let them know, hey, you're going to represent this side of the room and you're going to represent this side of the room and to be able to get some extra points for those teams. All teams on this side will, will get points if you win. And so they said, what we need you to do is two of you are going to go and have an ice cream sundae eating contest. You're whoever can eat two ice cream sundaes the fastest. And the two young men were the guys you just saw on the announcements doing that little weird thing. Yeah, that was them. And so... And, uh, and so the uh, Weston and Cade were going head to head on this. Well, so they had to eat two, you know, ice cream sundaes. Well, we all know you ice cream is not something you can just pound down. There's the dreaded brain freeze, you know, that you've got to, you know, kind of go through it. But a couple of guys in their early 20s, um, they will throw caution to the wind and, 
put that ice cream in their mouth and, you know, just hammer it down and deal with the brain freeze. And so they're handed their first ice cream sundae. This wonderful vanilla ice cream, got chocolate syrup, it's, it's got the whipped cream, it's got some sprinkles. It's an ice cream sundae, it looks great. They're handed it, handed the spoon, say go. And man, and they are pounding it, just bam, just big bites. And of course, getting the brain freezes and going through it. And they get through the first one and then they're handed the second ice cream sundae and they're handed that except um, somebody knew this truth that if you freeze mayonnaise, it looks just like vanilla ice cream. So the second ice cream sundae uh, looked just like the first ice cream sundae, um, except the base for that was two scoops of frozen mayonnaise. And it had the chocolate syrup, and it had the whipped cream, and it had the sprinkles. And so, man, they just full send on the first one, eat it, they're good. Handed the second one, give me the second one, big bite, bam! Stick it in their mouth, and you just saw that something went terribly wrong. And Weston being my son, he just responded, he was just like, spits it all out, like, I can't deal with this. Um, they should have known something was up when we had trash cans close, they should have known that. And, um, but they, he spits it out, but Cade is going to win. And so Cade takes that first bite and he's like, and then he just keeps, and he just keeps hammering through. He eats the whole Sunday, eats the whole thing. And, and so, and the kids have no idea what's happening. They have no idea until it's all over. And all us adults are laughing. We are mean, cruel. We had repentance service. We, get, we found forgiveness. Um, and so, but I mean, he just hammers through it. We're like, Cade, did, did you not, could you not tell what was happening? He's like, yeah. I said, I, I thought that maybe the toppings had gone bad. And I'm like, what can happen to chocolate syrup? to make it that, make it taste like mayonnaise. I mean, did somebody do voodoo on it? I mean, what, what happens to that to make it bad? He, he was not gonna lose to Weston. It was just not gonna happen. And, and I think there's that concern that we have our initial experience with God and, and we come to him and we're heavy laden and we're frustrated and we're, 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 we're dealing with life's problems and we connect on a real way with a God who loves us and it just is so amazing and so sweet and so wonderful and we begin to move in and then we get into life with God and then the, the Holy Spirit, Spirit begins to deal with spaces where we need to give him lordship and maybe we're not in crisis mode. Maybe we don't feel like we need a savior but the whole time we still need a Lord and all of a sudden we begin to go, ah, uh, I don't know about this. I don't know about round two. I was great with Savior. I, I don't know about round two. I don't know about lordship. I don't know about that. I, I'm, I'm kind of okay. I, I can handle the spaces of my life okay. When I wreck it and I need a Savior, I know where I can go. I know where I can go. I can run into your arms. But until then, I think I'm going to kind of be my own Lord. And that is the place where we end up creating our own cages, our own places of conflict, our own places where we stay trapped is when we refuse to take our next lordship step with him as we move forward. And 
And Galatians has been talking about this the whole time of making sure we keep it focused on him. Make it sure we keep it focused on what he's done for us and not turn it back into, as he deals with in chapter 1 and chapter 3, this place of dealing with the legalism, coming back in, trying to follow the law and do a bunch of rules and stuff to, to impress a God who's just kind of seeing if we've got the stuff to be his kid. No, there's a God who's loved us and made us fully his and wants to, wants to empower our lives to be all that Christ paid for us to be. And then now as we get to the end of this letter, we get to chapter 6, he now wants to mobilize us, not just remind us, that we're free, but we're free and we can be agents of freedom. Jesus has freed us to be agents of freedom. Let's go ahead and get into verse one of chapter six. It says brothers, and of course, we talked about early on, he uses that language, it's all of us, brothers, sisters, all of us. Um, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We are called to step in when one another's having some struggles, having some things, but, but do it in a place where it's wise. But we see this word caught, and he uses this freedom language all the way through this. And I, and I love that he says this, that idea of caught in a sin, that same concept of the of a trap caught is the opposite of being free it's the opposite of it it says if you find someone who's caught in a sin well then set him free but you need to make sure it's you who are spiritual and he used the first five chapters of this to to help us understand what real spirituality looks like Real spirituality is keeping our relationship with God based on his grace, based on that, not based on legalistic righteousness. Because here's what happened. If someone's immature and feels like this relationship with God thing is based on legalistic righteousness, which is an immature view of it. In fact, in, in chapter three, it's like you, you got bewitched. You got, you got somebody messed you up if you, go, if you fall back into that. But someone who is immature deal, tries to help somebody who's in a sin, all they're going to do is bring condemnation. They're going to say, well, you need to try harder. You need to do this. You need to do that. Whereas a spiritually mature person will point them back to grace, yeah, point them back to the fact that God loves them, that grace says you don't have to be a trap to this, that there's grace sufficient for you to walk free from whatever sin has caught you. Point yeah. them back to the Savior who set them free and gave them life to begin with and will help them walk in life more. It won't point them towards laws and regulations, but point them towards a Savior. That's what a spiritually mature person will do. And Paul makes sure not to get to this till the end of the letter. And he's made his case for grace strong because you and I are called to be involved in one another's lives and in one another's struggles and in one another's things that we deal with. Because the problem is if you have the wrong view of what's really the problem, then you're going to address everything but what's actually caught you trapped. And you're going to end up like the Aggie coyote that got stuck in a trap and he, ch and he chewed off three legs and he was still stuck. And so you're going to end up like that. You're going to end up where you try to get free and you miss the thing that's actually holding you back. 
as we move forward in Galatians chapter, chapter 6, verse 3, it says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And this is talking about spiritual. And this thing is if somebody understands, actually a better translation is this, if, something, if somebody thinks they have something, which is an understanding of grace, when they have nothing, they don't get it. You've deceived yourself. You need to make sure you understand what this is all about. Each one should test his own actions. So you can't be a judge of this for one another. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Well, verse 2 said that we got to carry one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And then all of a sudden, now he's telling me just a couple of verses later that I need, verses later, I need to carry my own load. So what is this? Am I supposed to carry somebody else's load and help fulfill the law of Christ? Or am I supposed to just carry my own load? And the truth is, being spiritually mature means yes. It means yes. It means you carry your own load, and if you're doing it right, that enables you to carry someone else's load as well. Because we understand, spiritually mature, understand that Jesus reminded us, okay, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Understand that the scriptures tell us to cast our burdens onto him because he cares for us. We keep our burden load rested on him, which then because the grace we're walking in allows us to be grace we extend to someone else. It's not the weight we're walking under that all of a sudden we get, we get amazingly uh, spiritually ripped and buffed to be able to carry our own load. No, we recognize that we keep the pressure and we keep the weight on the Spirit of God at work in us. Pastor King did a great job in covering the fact in chapter 5. He says that to walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't do it. It's not that you've got to, you know, knock off the lust of the flesh and, well, I'm walking with Jesus. You leave me alone. No. No, that we don't got to kick back with one foot and hang on with God with the other hand. No, we just hang on with Jesus with both hands yeah. and go, you know what? I'm walking with you, and as I'm walking with you, then nothing else matters. The, the, the lust and the flesh and all that stuff has no weight if we will pay attention and, and walk in the Spirit. And so as we're doing that, as we're creating space in our own lives by casting our burdens onto Him... That enables us to be able to carry someone else's load. And this would be a very practical thing. We can see this real easily. We illustrate this real easily in the area of finances. Okay? There's a space um, and there's a, uh, there's a word that's utilized a lot in the church world and in the business world of creating margin, which simply means that you don't utilize all that you have. Okay? Because here's what happened. It's real easy to be able to... to outpace your finances and get overextended okay and then let's call this table you know this this area of our finances and we overdo it and then we're, we overcommit and then it's spilling over and there begins to be problems you know and we're always thankful when somebody comes in and and and, and it brings their table up next to ours and and helps kind of rescue some things and and bring some financial help and those types of things and in this space we can overextend ourselves and then we realize no i don't want to have my burden, which is being, praise God, people will step up and help, and that's part of life in Christ. We will step up and help. But then as discipleship happens, 
then we understand, okay, well, I need to make sure that I don't overspend, okay? And this begins to stay on here. But then a spiritual mature begins to say, okay, now I need to create margin because if I'm simply not spilling over here, well, I'm not a burden on anybody else, but if I don't create margin, I can't carry anybody else's burden. If everything I've got is simply to cover my own family and my own self, I cannot carry anybody else's burden. So therefore, spiritually mature, we create some margin. We create some space. We live and understand that everything that comes to me is not for me. Some of what comes to me is for me to carry somebody else's burden. And so, and then I create margin in here and recognize that, that I'm a steward of everything that comes to me and that maybe there are times that I, I need to step up and help somebody who's struggling. Disciple them and show, hey, I used to be overextended too and then I learned to live within my means and now I learned to live within margin and be able to be a blessing and be able to, to move forward in that. And, and, and that, praise God, that happens all the time. We're so thankful. We're sitting in this building right now because there are people who loved you years ago who had financial margin who said you know what yeah i could use this on myself but i'm gonna i'm gonna be able to give because we need more space and the movie theater won't hold us and praise god the movie theater's not even an option today we didn't even know that this was coming and so and praise god there was some financial margin in some people's lives and they were able to create space for grace to be able to function and then there's place of emotional margin you need some emotional margin in your life if you're going to be able to help carry one another's burdens because most of the burdens you'll carry aren't going to be writing somebody a check. It's going to be listen, uh, being a listening ear. And sometimes ourselves are so full of our own stress, our own problems, that all of a sudden somebody, a friend, a, a, a family member begins to come to us and just needs to talk. And we're like, you know what? I don't need your drama. i got enough drama on my own. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't have enough. We do it with our family. Work can stress us out so much. We, we walk into the house. The kids walk in and say, you know what? I need some homework help. Well, you know what? Mommy's tired. Daddy's tired. Talk to the other one. Talk to your siblings. You know what? I am worn out. I am done. I am stressed up to here. And there's no emotional margin to be able to carry some extra load under, the roo under your own roof and your own home, much less be able to carry some of the frustrations and worries and fears of friends and coworkers and all those different things. And so that's why when our own anxiety comes to us, we learn to cast it off onto him. Not only do we get to live free from that, but now in our own lives, there's some emotional margin to be involved in somebody else's struggle. Somebody who's overwhelmed with their own anxiety and they can't get rid of it. And we step in and we're a friend and, and we're an example of, of Christ in somebody's lives and we're able to do that. That's what God has called us to do. That's carrying our own load and carrying somebody else's load. We see that in our calendar. We ought to have calendar margin. Man, most families are overcommitted as far as their calendars go. And, and they're just go, 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 go. And we need to create some calendar margin. That's what the principle of the Sabbath was all about. The principle of the Sabbath was all about was you're going to need a day a week to chill out. Because guess what? You're not going to, if you don't have some, some calendar margin, you will not have any emotional margin. You won't. You don't have any downtime. You don't have any real 
rest and we need to do that. Otherwise, it's like, you know what? We, we can't step out, step up and somebody needs some help. You're like, I'm sorry, my calendar's full. I'd love to be able to serve at church, but my calendar's full. I'd love to be able to do a number of things, but my calendar is full. We need to have margin in those spaces and to be able to deal with our own space so that we can be a blessing in someone else's space. It's something Jesus taught. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. But we want to stop right there. We want to love this little passage of scripture. Keep that in our little pocket. Somebody starts meddling in our business and you go, you know what Jesus said? Take the plank out of your own eye, you hypocrite. <laughs> and then shut them down. It's like, yep, you, leave, you mind your own business. Jesus said to. Well, Jesus did say to deal with your own stuff first. Carry your own load so that you can carry someone else's load because that's not where it stops. It says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It wasn't that Jesus didn't want us involved in each other's issues. It wasn't that he wanted to isolate us all and be able to say, nope, I'm just dealing with you and I'm just dealing with you and you're not gonna end up being a part of one another's discipleship process. No, you will be involved in it, but first let me deal with you. First let me handle that and then you're gonna be able to see clearly. You're gonna be able to, to be in a place of compassion. You're gonna be understand the process. You're gonna be able to really be a coach and a help in that process. But we have to understand this, that Jesus did the work and our choices still matter. Here's the place where the, anybody that has a tension with a strong grace teaching, and I don't know that you can teach grace strong enough. Are we have such push against it? But what grace never says, grace never says to stay in a place of decay. Grace is always to build up. It's never to stay in a place of decay. It's never to stay in a bad habit. It's never to, to, to stay in a place of, of de destroying yourself and destroying others. It's never that. It's always a thing of restoration. It's always a thing to help us to, to move and to grow. And so you have to understand, yes, grace is the, the, what changes everything, but you have to receive that. You have to choose daily. And walking in his lordship is that very thing. Verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. Okay, it's not that God is sending the destruction. You didn't let me be Lord there. You didn't let me be Lord. There you go. You're smited. No, it's not it at all. It's not letting him be Lord. The only other options create destruction. There's not another path of life. It's not like Jesus is going to show me this kind of life, but there's a pretty decent life over here outside of him. No. He, that's why we need to have Lord because he knows where the life is. He's going to lead us to life where you don't let him be Lord. The only options, the only outcomes are pain, suffering, and destruction. That's it. There's nothing else out there. 
It's not. That's why lordship is the smartest decision we can possibly make. If we sow to the flesh, sow the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to the, please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we did not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And he leads off with this concept of God will not be mocked. Um, or other translation says, do not mock God. And you're like, well, you know, I, I'm not a God mocker. You know, I did not, I did not participate in God roasts and, you know, I did not participate in things. I did not make fun of God. I did not guest appear on an SNL skit portraying God, you know, and, and sitting there in some big robe with a big white beard and, you know, well, you get a plague and you get a plague and you get a plague and, you know, and, and, and doing just this, this terrible mockery of God. I, I don't do that. And, you know, there's people who don't care about God. They're, they're the ones who might be God mockers. You remember... Who this letter is written to? Letter is written to the churches in the region of Galatia. It's written to believers. It's written to people who are, he's expecting to be spiritually mature and, and help restore people. That's who he's writing to. So it's like, how do we end up mocking God? And our mockery of God happens when we begin to try to live life like what he says doesn't matter. That we don't invite him into a place of lordship. That we try to act like his way, it's, it, yeah, that's good, but I think I can do this over here and be cool. That's where it's a mockery of God. We, that's where it finds us mocking God. And that's why it says, if you're going to choose to sow to the sinful nature, you're going to reap destruction. But if you'll choose to sow to the Spirit, there's another opportunity, there's another choice at hand, letting Him be Lord, walking in the Spirit, and you won't follow that other path. And so folks are mocking God, is living. It's living like His words don't matter. In our household with our seven kids, there were moments, man, we'd get frustrated with our kids, not because they mocked us to our face and made fun of us or disrespected us or any of that, but we would say something and they would sometimes not respond. They would act like our words had no weight. And we're like, all right, you're about to feel the weight. <laughs> and so, uh, but uh, that, there was that place that, not that they were openly disrespectful, but that place of living like our, our words made no difference in our home, that was equal mockery. Romans 8, uh, 6.13 says, Do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been <clears throat> brought from death to life and offer the parts of your uh, body to him as instruments of righteousness. These, he's writing to believers who said you can offer yourself as an instrument here or you can offer yourself as an instrument there. Um, Jesus tells his disciples in John 5.24 says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes uh, him who sent me has life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. If we will embrace what Jesus has to say, that's where the life is. And then Deuteronomy 30.19, this has been a part of the process all along. This day I call heaven and earth as 
witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And so as we move forward with this, this is where we need to understand. This is how we keep moving from glory to glory, from faith to faith, as we keep moving forward in lordship, as we need to celebrate every life win that comes from the new creation that we are now in Christ. Verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has, cru has crucified, been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither crucifixion nor circum ah! neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. What counts is a new creation. That circumcision or uncircumcision means trying to follow the law or trying to say that I'm not going to be legalistic. And we can create not being legalistic and create a whole other form of legalism. Okay? It says, no, it's being a new creation. That's what counts. Just be a new creation. Just stay connected with him. We are in the middle of uh, um, renovating a, a house that had been just ignored, just left um, uninhabited since the mid-80s. And um, so in that, there was all sorts of animals that moved in, all sorts of stuff. And that I mean the house did not smell good. It was a mess. And so the first thing was just remove all the trash, remove all the junk. And there was a bunch of that that came out. And then you had to rip everything out to studs and get all of the old sheetrock, all that out. And then it was amazing as walk in, as all the old junk was out, to walk in and go and just see the studs. Folks, you're not supposed to see the studs. In the house, you're not supposed to see them. But walk in and see the studs and the trash gone, and it was like, oh, this looks so good. <laughs> this looks so good. It's the only time those studs would ever be celebrated ever again because they were part of the process. And then move forward and got the sheetrock put in, just the drywall, no tape, mud, texture, paint, and just the brand new drywall. Like, oh, this looks so good. This looks amazing. No one's ever going to walk into that house and go, man, the drywall's awesome. It's fantastic. It's never going to happen again, but we celebrated it because it was a crucial part and you could see what was taking place, celebrate everyone. It doesn't mean that you're completed. Don't you dare wait to celebrate what God has done in your life until it's all finished because it'll never be finished. Don't you dare feel like you can't celebrate something because there's a part of your, a part of your life that still needs some attention. You celebrate what the Spirit of God is doing. You celebrate what the Spirit of God is doing in your life, and you celebrate what the Spirit of God is doing in other people's lives. We can nitpick, nitpick each other all the time, but I dare you to turn it around and celebrate every little thing we see the Holy Spirit doing. It'll change everything. All of a sudden, like one cabinet gets put in that house, and it's like, ah, that's amazing. It looks like a kitchen. They're like, like, it's a cabinet. No, it's a kitchen. It's about to be. I know where this is going, and we can celebrate those spaces. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We celebrate the new creation. Our bottom line today is this, is that free people, free people, that is what he is getting us to, why he made the case so strong for the first five chapters that it's grace, this is grace, this is grace. Do not be deceived. 
stay connected with grace because guess what? We are called to be agents of grace in this community. We're called to be there. And the only way people are going to get free is if we are free people. Otherwise, all we do is just take them out of one place of frustration and give them some new religious frustration. That's all we do. But if we are really free, we will help people to genuinely walk in freedom. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.